First Peter chapter five, first Peter chapter five, and I'm going to read 11 verses. You don't have to stand, but I am going to ask you to reverence the word of God with your reading and your hearing. When you have first Peter chapter five, or you see it on the screen, I want you to signify by saying I have the bread. The elders which are among you, I exhort whom am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of ready of mind, neither as being lords over God's inheritance, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, Ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject, what? One to another. And don't just be subject to one another, but be what? Clothed with humility. This is just a good letter to read, right? For God resisteth the proud. And give grace to the what? To the humble. Look at your neighbor and say, stay humble, stay humble. Well, well, Lord, humble me. That's not what Peter said. Verse 6, humble yourselves. <laughs> Lord, humble me. Now, he'll do it. But wisdom says, humble yourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in in due time. God has a due time, saints. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Look at your neighbor, tell your neighbor, you were not designed to carry all of that. Verse 8, oh, I'm sorry, lay hands on yourself and tell yourself, you're not designed to carry the load of God. Let God be God. Verse 8, be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You know, the Bible says be so vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, he's not a lion. There's only one lion in the realm of the spirit. And that's Jesus Christ. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. But the enemy is an imitator. He's a, he has the roar. Hallelujah. But he doesn't have the bite. Hallelujah. Verse 9, whom resist, steadfast, whom resist steadfast in faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. I love the Bible, saints. But the God of all grace, who have called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish strengthen settle you to him be glory and dominion simply simply forever and ever and all of God's people said amen I'm going to go back to verse and I know you all know on Sunday mornings I never read these many scriptures but I just love this epistle this morning I want to go back to verse number nine whom resists steadfast in the faith Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren 
that are in the world. This morning, in these last 10 minutes, I want to share with you the topic, Already Accomplished. My identity, my journey, which are some phrases that carry some sort of uh, validity to them, can sometimes be misleading. You are special. You really are. Your mother told you so, right? You are special and God sees you as special. But I want to say something to you and I want you to think about it. Although you're special, your journey may not be as unique as you think. Because, you know, in our life, we're the main character. You know, and everybody around us is supporting characters. But the more you live and the more you see things from a God view, you realize that it's his story. And we're all supporting and oftentimes, many of us have some of the same or similar, similar journeys. Now, that's not to take away from you feeling special. It's actually to add faith to you. It's actually there to be strength to you. Let's look at this letter. Although there's much debate over who the author is from some scholars, I'll go with what the letter says. It tells us in the beginning of the epistle that it is Peter. Um, one challenge that some have with it being Peter is because of the scholarly language of the epistle. Scholarly language, the, the philosophical terms in Greek that are used in this epistle can't be Peter. So some scholars, it says, no, no, it's probably written later after one of the Pauline epistles because it seemed like it's gleaning from some of the Pauline epistles. Why do they question Peter being the writer? Because of Peter's background. When we find Peter, Peter is not in a synagogue learning Torah, even though he would have had some beginning studies there, but he's not studying the Talmud and Midrash. He's not walking behind rabbis, flipping pages all day. Peter got nets. Peter smells like fish. <laughs> he's a worker. He's a laborer. And so scholars say, this can't be Peter's letter. Somebody just gave him credit for it. Because of its language. Because people have a tendency to keep you limited to the space they met you in. Because they said, you know, you know, Peter is a fisherman when Jesus meets him. So how could he have such broad spectrum of language and philosophical thought and being able to articulate the scriptures in such a way? Because Peter went to school. Peter went to a university. Huh, glory be to God. I mean, they, they know Paul's 
pedigree of intellectualism. Because Paul studied under Gamaliel. The Yale of our day. He studied in the highest seminary order possible to anybody. And Paul has a cultural diverse background where he is a Jew by birth, but he has Roman citizenship. <laughs> that means he had connections. But Peter, <laughs> Peter, he's a fisherman. But they missed the point that even Peter went to a university. But his professor, my God, was not Gamaliel. The rabbi of all rabbis walked up to Peter and says, drop your net. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He had the teacher of all teachers. And people would keep you trapped into the space they found you, but they forgot to calculate Jesus. Hallelujah. And Peter would lift to you and say, no, 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 I had the best teacher. And, and what Peter would tell you, now, Jesus was the master teacher. But suffering were my instructions. I need you to look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, suffering raised me. Glory be to God. It wasn't stars by my name on a school board. It wasn't perfect attendance that raised me. It was the school of hard knocks. It was, my goodness, stretching coins trying to pay it. Hallelujah. It was going through my inward pain and affliction. I need you to look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, nothing raises you like suffering. Paul says, if you really want to know him, you got to know him in the power of his resurrection, but also in the fellowship of his sufferings. And oftentimes, we are resisting the very thing that God is using to give us a revelation of who he is. Huh? You wouldn't know him to be a provider unless you had a problem. Hallelujah. Unless there was a lack. You wouldn't know him to be a healer unless you had an infirmity. Glory be to God. I need you to look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, suffering blessed me. Suffering expanded me. Suffering. I know, listen, I don't want to put nobody down, but some of you quit at the sign of any challenge. Many of you ball up in a, in a some of y'all roll up in a ball as soon as somebody says something bad about you or somebody look at you the wrong way, you ready to quit and walk away. But the family I was raised in, they were so brutally honest that every time they saw me, oh, you skinny, you sick, you all right? You need to gain some weight. Then you gain weight, they say you big. Why you, why, why, you need to pull away from the table. I tell people all the time, I know y'all call it verbal abuse, but I says, if I can make it in my family, I can make it in Pakistan, I can make it in Afghanistan. Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, you can stay sensitive if you want to, but this is a war zone and nothing matures you like suffering. Suffering matured me. It, it increased my, my capacity. It broadened my shoulders. You don't think Peter wrote it? You got to know Peter's testimony. You got to know Peter's story. Hallelujah. Where would Peter get the language of success from? Because Peter knows what it is to be a failure. <laughs> no, no, no. We, we want to learn from people who always have won. 
But if you always won, I don't know if I can glean from you. Because I think it always happens for you. So that means you and I are not in the same category. Show me your scars. Hallelujah. Anybody who has had victory in their life is someone who's had enough defeats to find out what victory looks like. Mm. Glory be to God. Somebody, come on, somebody who's failed enough times to learn how to stand. Glory be to God. Yeah. Peter is writing, but he's writing to the scattered Jews, to those of the diaspora. They're believers in Yahweh. But geographically, they're not in Jerusalem. And Peter is letting them know that although you're not here, you're still God's elect. Still God's chosen. And there are moments in our lives where we feel so distant from where God wants us. But it doesn't mean God has changed his mind about who you are. Anybody in here that you've gone through seasons in your life and you, it was hard for you to label where you were? I mean... To the point to complain would almost be something evil because you are you are blessed. Come on, y'all talk to me. Talk to me. I mean, you are blessed. You have more than what other people have, but you're like, I don't feel like I'm in the place I should be in. And it makes you feel like a fish out of water. Whew. You're in a crowd of people and still feeling by yourself. And this is what these Jews were going through because they were Roman citizens. One time Peter even calls it Babylon and kind of throws people off when they're reading it because Babylon was a thing of the past. But what Peter was saying, Babylon may not be in existence, but the same spirit of Babylon is. Y'all don't believe the spirit of Babylon is still in existence? The spirit of Babylon is that spirit that would take you, not kill you, but take you captive. Take your brightest, take your strongest, and pollute their way of thinking, bringing you to the table but feeding you a diet that you know you don't supposed to consume. That spirit of Babylon is called America. Yeah, yeah, that spirit of Babylon is calling the culture that we're in right now. I've been, I've been wondering lately, with all of us being such a part of our culture today, and, and I, know, I, I, know, I know I'm not trying to preach legalism, but we're so a part of this culture today. I'm wondering, what is it that a politician can say to make you walk away from them? What is it that your favorite artist can sing and you are, some of you don't have no negotiables. They can say what they want to say. They can down your God. Come on. So they, they can listen. They, they, they will not make fun of Muslims because it's not politically correct. They won't say nothing against Hindus because that's not politically correct. And you got to be taught. They will not say anything about no other community, LGBTQ, ABCDEFG. But when it comes to Christians, when it comes to Jesus, they will mock Jesus on cartoons. They will mock him on television. And some of you will still buy the tickets. Some of you will still support. Some of you will still vote. Some of you will still support. What is do you have any negotiable? Do you have any non-negotiables that says I won't walk with you that far? That spirit of Babylon will sedate you with the king's meat, offer you influence, offer you favors, offer you access. Glory be to but I'm at a place in my life that I'm willing, I'm not willing to go through any door that I can't take my faith with me. If Jesus is not welcome in this room, I'm not welcome in this room. If I can't say, if I can't say his name, don't call my name. 
And Peter is writing to the diaspora and saying, you all are in countries. You all are in places and spaces where you've been ostracized for your faith. And he's encouraging them that although you're not here in Jerusalem, you're still God's elect. You're still God's chosen. And I could imagine Kathleen, them feeling isolated. You know, because isn't it a wonderful thing that when you have camaraderie and you can walk with people and you have accountability and you have support. But what happens when you feel like, man, it's happening for everybody but me. I'm going to close this sermon out and I want y'all to help me close it out. I want y'all to help me close it out. Somebody in this room feel like they're the only one that's ever had to deal with certain situations. They're the only one. You don't understand. My daddy wasn't there. I need everybody in this room that had to grow up without your father in the house. Stand up and wave your hand and you can sit back down. And you ain't going through nothing that ain't been accomplished by the brethren in this world. How can you say I can overcome? Because you don't have my addiction. I dealt with alcoholic and drug addiction. I need somebody in this room that battled with alcoholic, alcohol and drug addiction to just stand up and wave your hand and just sit back down. And you ain't going through nothing. That ain't already been accomplished by the brethren in the world. But you don't understand. The enemy has tried to destroy my marriage. And I don't know. I need somebody in this room where the enemy tried to destroy your marriage. Just get up and wave your hand. And you ain't been through nothing that ain't already been accomplished. But you don't know I lost my job. And I don't know why. I need somebody who got a pink slip. And they told you not to come back. I need you. You ain't been through nothing that ain't already been accomplished. But I'm sorry. I'm getting a little deep in here. But I was sexually abused. I need somebody who went through sexual abuse. But you survived it. Come on somebody. Oh, you ain't been through nothing that ain't already been accomplished by the I was hurt in church. I need somebody that's been hurt in church. Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor testifying is important. The Bible says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Your testimony is not just for them. 
but your testimony is also for you because you need to be reminded of the faithfulness of God in your life because there are moments where believers get amnesia and we forget where God has brought us from and some of you are facing new situations you're facing new giants you're facing new problems I need you to look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor say it's a new problem huh? but it's only new to you it's a new problem but it's the same God and God says I'm the same yesterday I'll be the same today and before you get up in the morning I'll be the same tomorrow I come to tell somebody snap out of it I'm not telling you your feelings are not valid but I'm just telling you you don't have to be stuck by your feelings oh we got testimonies in the Bible of individuals that have to walk by faith we got in testimonies like Abraham how he had to lay down his son but God says look over in the bush there is a realm hallelujah in the bush we got testimonies like Moses he was a basket case his mother had to put him in a basket to save his life I need you to testify to somebody tell him I was a basket case if it ain't your testimony don't lie but tell somebody if it's your testimony tell them I came from a dysfunctional family the more I look at it the more dysfunctional it was but look at your neighbor tell your neighbor I made it out of the basket <laughs> I made it out of the basket I would un I understand why some people are mentally ill because if God hadn't touched me when he did if God hadn't filled me when he did it would have been me I would have a reason to be in a bad state shooting drugs up my arm but look at your neighbor tell your neighbor I went through the situation but I accomplished it the testimony is not just for the hearer but the testimony is for the teller I heard Jeremiah say it in the book of Lamentations this I recall I'm going to India now this I recall to my mind therefore I have hope tell your neighbor my own testimony gave me hope see hope is not for now hope is for the future and if the enemy can rob you of your hope he'll rob you of your expectation but I need you to tell your neighbor I'm being reminded of the goodness of God in my life there is a Baptist hymn that says count your blessings and name them one by one I want you to take a moment as I go to my seat and I want you to name 10 things that you're thankful for and thank you for go do it now thank you for my eyes thank you for my voice thank you for my health thank you for my strength thank you for my family come on thank you for my job thank you for the car I drive thank you for salvation thank you for the Holy Ghost I know I said 10 but can you start thinking about it keep thinking and thinking and thinking you can't stay depressed when you start thanking him you can't stay bound when you start thanking him my God the Bible declared Jesus he hung there from the sixth to the ninth hour he said all things to fulfill all scripture my God hey 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 he accomplished our expiation in other words he removed 
sin and guilt he accomplished our propitiation it means he removed the wrath from us he accomplished reconciliation in other words he removed us from being alienated he accomplished our redemption that means sin had put us in captivity and the only way we could come out a price had to be paid we were held hostage and he became our ransom tell your neighbor he ransomed me oh my god he accomplished defeat of the powers of darkness Christ's death was the defeat the power of Satan and that's why I asked the question if the Lord delivered me why should I be bound and the last thing he became he became a substitute my God the reality of substitution is at the heart of atonement because we always declare that salvation is free and that is right salvation is free it's free to us my God but somebody lay hands on somebody and shout somebody paid for yesterday I was at the restaurant after we ate ate soul food meatloaf mac and cheese oh yeah we ate good we had yams and fried fish oh we ate good and the man said you want dessert I said of course I want dessert banana pudding here peach cobbler there and we ate all we could eat but when it was time to go everybody lined up to pay their bill stood in line and they said you can put the tip on your card and I waited patiently while everybody paid and I kept waiting and the line was long and I wanted to make sure that we didn't leave the restaurant without the bill being paid but when 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 I got to the man with the card machine I said hey sir how much do we owe he said what do you mean how much do you owe like how much do all of us owe he said everybody paid their bill well I'm talking about what mine did let me pay for mine he said he looked on here he said ain't nothing left to pay I said what do you mean he said before they left somebody paid your bill my God and somebody in this room you're still trying to pay for your debt you're still trying to pay for your sin but I come to tell you Jesus told me to tell you that it's already it's already accomplished set on your feet it's already accomplished it's already it's already accomplished you know what is it, uh, Alicia? You like you? It's some strange food you like. Is it something in a bag with a pickle egg and sunflower seeds? Sounds like some kind of potion, but anyway. Now, that's kind of that DC 
stuff. Somebody says just Alicia, but I saw it on TikTok. It's a lot of people do that strange stuff. What? What if I wanted to be a blessinger? And I drove all the way to D.C. for me. And I went in the neighborhood where you got to dodge the bullets. And I barely make it out with my life. But I got the pickled egg and the specific sunflower seeds. On my way back, I end up in a car accident. But I survive and I get in another car. And in that car, after I come through Charlottesville, the tires go flat. And then I decide it's best for me to walk from Charlottesville to Lynchburg. But out of all the stuff I went through, I went through it for that product. And I came all the way. And even though I may have left my luggage and my bags in the car, I held on to the pickled egg and sunflower seeds. And I get to the door, banged up with scars. And I look at her and says, here's what you want. And she looked at me and said, oh, no, I'll get my own. Oh, I don't deserve that. Oh, no, I can never take that. No, I'm going to say, no. After everything I went through, and this is how it is with us. This is how. This is how it is with us. After everything Jesus did, came through forty and two generations, from whipping post to whipping post, being mocked with a crown of thorns. I know it ain't what y'all call Easter, but I preach Jesus all the time. Taking a crown of thorns and pressing it upon his head that blood comes out of his skull. For you to say, oh no, no, I'm not ready. What else does he have to do to prove? And I know what y'all, I get in these apologetic debates sometime about, you know, people who never got to hear Jesus well. What about you though? He's standing at your door. Jesus. He's standing at your door. Your sins are paid. You'd be crazy for your student loans to be cleared and you still send payments. God said, I'm offering you debt cancellation. Even if you're already saved, we struggle with trying to pay for our sins. We do. That's why Paul says, be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. When we read that scripture, don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. We attribute it to sin. That is not what that scripture is talking about. Don't be entangled again with trying to do stuff to earn God's forgiveness. That's the yoke of bondage. You know why that's bondage? Because it's like paying 
in on a debt that you'll never pay off. You know, that's what I'm telling you. You got to be careful. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about when you've been in them low places and you go to them title loan places. That the interest rate is so outrageous. That no matter how many payments you make, it seems like it keeps piling up. God said, let me clear. I've cleared that debt. Accept the receipt. Look at, look at the proof. So can we lift our hands and thank God for forgiveness and just say, Lord, I receive it again. No more, no more condemnation. No more shame. No more guilt. I receive it. I receive it again. Hey, this is Bishop S.Y. Younger. Thank you for watching this video. And now what I need you to do is like and subscribe to this YouTube channel so you can continue to get more inspirational, motivational, and gospel content in your direction.